Wow, what the f***? The entire village is like full of bodies. I, I... From Radio for Europe, I'm Reid Standish, and this is Talking China in Eurasia. Always hoping that maybe one day there's going to be something uh, peaceful or something nice between us and the other side, you know, because uh, it used to be like that. On today's episode, we're looking at China's response to the Israel-Hamas war. On October 7th, the Palestinian terrorist group Hamas stormed into the Gaza Strip. It left over 1,200 Israelis dead and triggered a conflict that has led to more than 10,000 Palestinian civilian deaths. Militants just storming inside the kibbutz, shooting everywhere. Anybody who try to peek his head out of the safe room or try to run. The people who came out are the people who got kidnapped, killed, executed, slaughtered, whatever. Israeli authorities answered with a promise to destroy Hamas and take back the hostages. Since then, they've pummeled Gaza with airstrikes, blocked food and water from getting into the territory, and sent soldiers into the heart of Gaza City. The World Health Organization has described the Al-Shifa hospital as a death zone. Israeli strikes around the Jabalia refugee camp in northern Gaza are reported to have killed at least 80, including 32 members of the same family. Civilian casualties continue to rise, and the world is watching a humanitarian disaster. We're facing problems pulling out both survivors and the dead. We're working with our hands because there's no equipment. One that poses the risk of an even wider conflict in the Middle East. Beijing has been quick to respond. To advance the two-state solution, peace talks should resume as soon as possible. A special Chinese envoy will visit the region to attempt to reach a ceasefire and end the bombing and to de-escalate the situation. It's really not a surprise because China has been aiming for that position of a mediator, an honest broker of sorts in the Middle East. China has also criticized what it calls Israel's disproportionate response and blamed American policy for enabling the conflict. As we speak, Palestinian civilians continue to be killed. Gaza is becoming a graveyard for children. So how does this reflect China's broader playbook for the region and a new crisis that's unfolding in the Middle East? Helping me answer that today is Erin Hale. She's a journalist in Taiwan working with Al Jazeera, where she's been covering how China is navigating this unfolding war. Aaron, thanks for joining us today. It's a pleasure to have you on. And I know it's difficult given the time difference between Prague and Taipei. Um, I also, I guess we should say for, for listeners, there's a, a cat in the background. So if we do hear some some meows, that's not, uh, you know, you being cheeky with us. Um, just to, everybody has a heads up there. So, Aaron, we are about a month and a half into this new war. And it seems like there's no end in sight um, at the moment, as fighting is continuing. So before you start laying out China's position on this war and what it's looking to achieve, I'm hoping that you can begin with explaining what Beijing's relationship is with Israel and Palestine before this conflict and you know just where things stood for China in the Middle East about a month and a half ago. Sure. Um, so a month and a half ago, things were looking fairly good for China in the Middle East. Some of your listeners may remember China helped broker a really major uh, deal between you know Iran and Saudi Arabia. So that was like really positive this year and a surprise. After years of hostilities, Saudi Arabia and Iran announced they are re-establishing diplomatic and economic ties. 
The breakthrough was mediated by China. The communique was signed in Beijing. But going back a few decades, China actually does have a fairly long-standing relationship with Palestine. Back in the Cold War, they were arming the PLO at one point, and uh, they had a lot of you know, sort of developing world solidarity, Cold War solidarity with them. And since then, uh, they formally recognized Palestine in the 80s. China is one of the first countries to recognize the Palestine Liberation Organization and the state of Palestine. And they've had a fairly consistent uh, relationship since then. Palestinian leader Mahmoud Abbas was warmly welcomed in Beijing when he met President Xi Jinping. Abbas is the first Arab leader to visit China this year. The two sides marked the visit by announcing a strategic partnership. Palestine obviously is a very small economy, so it's not really based on that. Um, but one thing that has happened is, you know, Palestine has actually stayed very quiet on, you know, issues like the Uyghurs in China and China's ethnic minority Muslims. So that should tell you something, that the relationship is good enough that Palestine doesn't really want to rock the boat there. And what about and, things for, yeah. for with Israel? Sure. Um, so as some of your listeners may also know, you know, China has a very uh, well-known historic Jewish community. As the Nazis grew more brutal, many Western countries severely limited the number of Jewish refugees they were willing to take in. So some Jews, nearly 20,000 of them, fled east instead. Shanghai was a point of exile for many people. There was one place in the world where you could go to, and that was Shanghai. That's because much of Shanghai had been divided up decades earlier among European powers and had long harbored foreigners. We left in 1939 on the last German ship from Bremerhaven to Shanghai. And uh, the Republic of China, which is Taiwan's government, uh, very famously stamped visas for people to leave Austria. With contemporary Israel, uh, China's relationship normalized in the 90s. Uh, but they have a much stronger uh, economic relationship based on tech and trade. Beijing is Israel's second largest trading partner. China's invested, you know, tens to hundreds of millions of dollars in Israel. Uh, there is a really big asterisk on this relationship, though. Even though Palestine has very small economic ties with China compared to Israel, uh, Palestine's backers are much bigger, by which I mean, you know, some of their allies like Iran and some of the other Arab countries in the Middle East are going to back Palestine. So there's a lot of like proxy relationships also involved. Okay, so so that's where things stood before the mm -hmm. war. What's been China's response to all of this since that first attack by Hamas into Israel on October 7th? Uh, so China took a beat. They did not respond, I think, until Sunday. And they gave a very sort of neutral, very China-like comment uh, they did not explicitly condemn Hamas. They talked about how they abhorred violence. China has refrained from condemning Hamas's actions. Why is that? Well, in some ways, this is related to the fact that China doesn't really do condemnation unless it's about its core interests. Some other, some other analysts have talked about a lot of these statements are pretty similar to when there was violence in 2008 and 2014. So they have, they have a lot of the same talking points. But they did kind of begin to crank up the messaging in mid-October. Uh, a lot more to say, critical to say about uh, collective punishment of Palestinians, you know, violating international norms. Consistent with the international humanitarian law, we urge all parties 
to take steps urgently towards a cessation of hostilities to ensure the protection of civilians. We demand that the parties to the conflict facilitate the continuous, sufficient, and unhindered provision of essential goods and services to all civilians throughout the Gaza Strip. These must include electricity, water, fuel, food, and medical supplies sustained and at a scale. They've also started calling for a ceasefire. So they've, they've definitely stuck sort of the middle line, more neutral diplomacy first, ceasefire, than um, some of the fiery statements you might have heard out of like the US, for example. Right, and I, I also saw, um, I mean, some of China's comments, the, you know, this neutral wording that you were talking about mm-hmm. also got quite a bit of criticism from Israeli officials who thought that it mm-hmm. was a little bit too tepid given the, yeah. the, the attack that happened on October 7th. If any of your countries endured a similar massacre, I am certain, certain that you would act with much greater force than Israel. How would Beijing respond if genocidal jihadists beheaded and murdered your babies? Yeah, I would say that's fair. Um, They're definitely been irking Israelis, I think, in that they haven't backed up their position. Um, I think one of the most critical things I said was, you know, Israel's actions have gone beyond self-defense. And it should heed the call of the international community and the Secretary General of the United Nations to stop its collective punishment of the people in Gaza. That's pretty strong language for China, which tries to play it safe, usually in at least diplomatic language. So that says a lot. And, you know, every word they choose also has a lot of meaning behind it in their statements, maybe more so than any other country. And then how, you know, has Xi Jinping commented on this and how have Chinese diplomats voted and positioned at places like the United Nations? They have voted in favor of, you know, I think barely pushing the ceasefire issue. Xi Jinping has also had very similar talking points. One thing to note is that Chinese diplomats have been pushing China's ongoing position on this, which is that basically saying you need to address the root causes of this, which is that Palestine doesn't have statehood. What's also important is really to to come back to the two-state solution and the peace process. So it seems like China is looking to straddle this diplomatic line by sounding neutral towards the war, but also perhaps shying away from Israel a bit in practice. Is that fair to say? And why might that be so? I think that is fair to say. Um, and Israel has been critical of them, at least in public somewhat, or as critical as you can be of China. The reason for this, for China's position on this, is uh, two reasons. Um, the first is, as we sort of talked about at the top of the interview, China is trying to become this other sort of multi, they like to talk about multipolar world. So they want to be another you know, point in the international community. That's, so it's not counterpoint to like the U.S., so they can have their own international order, you know, they can help negotiate treaties, they can be a big global presence. They like talking about multilateralism, et cetera, et cetera. But also, you know, China is very dependent on Middle East oil. So there's a big economic stake in this. And for as much tech investment has as they have, you know, in Israel, or how much they may like Israel, uh, the relationship with countries like Iran and Saudi Arabia is just so much larger. So they really need to walk a fine line there. Well, it also, I mean, what does it look like 
you know, on the the narrative front. You know, you're talking about China is trying to, you know, sell itself as this new type of superpower and perhaps one that speaks more for the global south. Um, you know, we saw how China has behaved and positioned itself diplomatically around the conflict of Ukraine. And a lot of that has been, you know, a, perhaps a similar sounding playbook, which is that, okay, we want this conflict to end, but actually a lot of the blame for this conflict existing is you know, poor American policy. So is there a type of, uh, you know, messaging and using this to take aim at the Americans as well? They have started to, you know, have their classic sort of like American barbs in there. I think so. But um, they've been, I think they've been fairly restrained for the most part in this situation. So to summarize, China is essentially looking to market itself to the world as this other type of superpower. And perhaps we can say there's some distance from Israel because it's this longtime American ally that has been supplied by American weapons for decades. So when we're talking about China calling for things like a two-state solution and a ceasefire, how real is this push from China to be a peacemaker here, Aaron? We've also seen China present for peace deals in the Middle East before, like you mentioned earlier. So what does that tell us about how much of a chance China has to make a difference now? That is a that's a good question. I think um, something to think about with a question like this, though, is that uh, you know what China was able to accomplish in the past um, and just how complicated the current situation is. So they do have these intentions, right, to become a peacemaker to play a role in the process. They've been attending meetings. They're calling for a ceasefire. They're doing and saying all the right things. But at the end of the day, in terms of practicality, they just don't have the same experience as other players like the U.S. and Qatar. And my feeling is is that uh, this is recognized that China is pretty light and thin on Middle East experience. Um, and you know, the Iran-Saudi deal that surprised everybody, China came in at the end of that. They weren't brokering it from the beginning. And also those were two countries that wanted to normalize relations. They do seem kind of out of their depth here. So um, I, I don't think it's really possible for them to play that, you know, really big headline role right now, at least. But I can imagine that perhaps Biden will ask, you know, Xi Jinping to maybe see what China can do to keep pushing, you know, maybe a more neutral line. So, Aaron, if yeah. if there is little chance that China can really sway things at the table, you know, why does it want to be there? Is this is this really just about narratives? I mean, they do want to probably do want to be on the right side of history, right? All Marxists really care about that. Um, a few interpretations I've heard is that you know China and a lot of this is still talking to the global south um, in their comments. They're hoping that strikes a chord. You have to remember Israel is really not very popular um, with a lot of countries, and you know Hamas is not necessarily recognized as a terrorist organization outside of the West and Japan. So, you know, maybe China's words will mean more beyond the global north and they can position themselves there in terms of like practical achievements i'm not so sure but they could at least get i think some positive pr especially when you know they're i think their pr in in the ukraine a lot of the things they're saying i think are a little bit less believable given that xi jinping is such a good friend of putin i'm not sure how seriously people take that there but perhaps here their words will be taken more seriously Okay, so it it sounds like that relates a lot to what you know China 
as it's looking to build up its influence in the Middle East. You know, before you brought up this example of a deal between Iran and Saudi Arabia, um, you know, before this war, Tehran has been getting closer to Beijing over many years. Uh, China is Iran's main economic partner, and it's helped its economy as Iran has dealt with U.S. sanctions. We've also seen Saudi Arabia, which is another big linchpin of the Middle East uh, and traditionally been a U.S. partner, but it's also getting closer to China in recent years. Mm -hmm. So, you know, zooming out a little bit here, where does Chinese influence currently stand across the Middle East and is it growing? I think it's fair to say that their influence is growing and they're looked at as a positive uh, you know, economic partner because you know, they do buy oil, uh, they, they bring a lot to the table in terms of trade, and they stay you know, very neutral on other countries' political issues in a way that the U.S. doesn't always. And again, I think you can tell how strong of a relationship it is in that um, I think every single country in the Middle East has, again, stayed silent on how... Uh, China treats its own Muslims. And that, to a lot of people, might sound contradictory, but there's just so much at stake right now. It seems like this war is, in effect, presenting something of an opportunity for China to serve two purposes here. One, which is hitting at the United States and perhaps chipping away at its global standing. And two, which is boosting Beijing's own global standing in the process. But there's also this hope that maybe this can be an opportunity for China and the U.S. to work closer together. Please, have a seat. As you know, I just concluded several hours the meetings with President Xi, and I believe there are some of the most constructive and productive discussions we've had. President Xi Jinping and Joe Biden, they recently met at APEC uh, in San Francisco, and they exchanged views on a bunch of topics. Where our interests are coincide, we're going to work together like we did on fentanyl. That's what the world expects of us. Not just people in China and the United States, but the rest of the world expects that of us. We've seen recently American officials mention that the United States is hoping that China can use its influence with Iran to maybe lean on Hamas. Iran, of course, is a patron and provides funding to Hamas. You've covered China for some time. Do you think that Beijing is really ready to work with the Americans on something like this? I would say that both countries, there's likelihood that they do want to work together. There has been a lot of work over the past year, year and a half for uh, Beijing and the U.S. to improve their bilateral relationship. And this could just be something very easy for them to both uh, you know, make those same statements and perhaps collaborate on this while also keeping in mind that they are you know, strategic superpower competitors. As ever in foreign policy, all of these different things can be true at the same time, right? China can be trying to long-term maybe usurp the U.S.'s number one position. But at the same time, in the short term, it may also want to have a better one-on-one -on -one relationship with the U.S. And it can also use this relationship, its relationship uh, with Iran and other Middle Eastern countries to boost its image there because it seems like a peacemaker. So it could be a win-win for China, but it will kind of depend on how also other countries respond to their actions. Um, as we're looking ahead of how China's navigating this crisis in the Middle East, what, what else is going to be on China's radar, especially in regards to how it's going to be navigating 
this crisis in the Middle East between Israel and Hamas? What are you watching in the weeks and months to come? I think something to look for would be whether or not China and the U.S. start saying the same things about ceasefire. And then China is actually going to be somewhat distracted in the next next few months because over here in East Asia, uh, Taiwan is having an election in January. So that is certainly going to draw at least some of the attention of you know the upper echelons of the Communist Party, and that generally makes them quite angry. And especially if uh, the current ruling party wins again, uh, they tend to get pretty angry, especially when the uh, DPP, the current party, gets reelected. That could that could sort of distract them somewhat from what's going on in the Middle East. But I think we're going to probably see just a lot of the same from Beijing to continue pushing sort of the same line, the same talking points. Well, uh, you know, perhaps quietly working in the background with some of the other key players like Iran. Okay, Aaron, thanks so much. It's been great speaking with you. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks. All right, that's all for this episode. I'm your host, Reed Standish. Katie Toth is our producer. Studio direction was done by Giovanna Elvis Faria. Thanks to editors Carla Padret, Kathleen Moore, and Pete Baumgartner. And to Radio Free Europe's journalists around the world that make podcasts like this possible. If you like this podcast, please share it and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and be sure to check us out on YouTube. Finally, if you haven't already, subscribe to the China and Eurasia newsletter, which goes out every other Wednesday. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.